Thanks for listening to one of our Sunday messages at Crossroads Bible Church. We gather on Sunday mornings at 9.15 and 10.45 a.m. To find out more about our church or to connect with any of our ministries, visit our website at crossroadsbible.org. We hope you enjoy the message and pray it encourages you as you follow Jesus. Welcome this morning, everybody. I love that video. They said they'd been at CBC for 10 years, and they got three kids out of the deal. And as the video kept going, more kids just showed up in the shot. It was really good. Welcome if you're here live. Good to see you. If you're watching live stream or watching later on, thanks for joining us in worship. And as we've done these videos, we did not prompt responses. We did not say, I strongly urge you to answer like this. We just said, what do you love about what God is doing in this community? And each and every week, you've gotten one answer, and it's the people that make up the community, which is a great answer. And we're in this series on our family values, our values together, the things that help shape who we're becoming together as we follow Jesus. And one of them, one that we will talk about today, is that we, we can't do life alone. So last week, we looked at the first three, growing people change, redeemed people can't keep quiet, and authentic community is messy. And today, we get the last two, that we can't do life alone, And then everybody has a part to play. But before we get into that, I think we have to address something when we look at our values. And that is our culture, no matter what culture we come from, culture at large or even family culture, our culture affects our value system. It changes how we see the scriptures. We say that often at CBC. There is a, 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 an engineer for IBM, and he, he kind of became known as the father of intercultural comparative research. His name was Gert Hofsted, and he wrote a book in the 70s called Culture and Organization, Softwares of the Minds, flying off the shelf, everybody, with that title, you know? He wrote a book, and, and what he did was he basically looked at all these different cultures, and he said, how do we compare Guatemala to Guam? How do we compare the USA to China? What, what do we use as a litmus or a baseline to talk about what cultures values? And so he looked at five different metrics and said, these are we're going to use as a baseline for establishing rhythms and values in culture. A couple of those, power distance, um, collectivism versus individualism, masculinity versus femininity, where power goes in the culture. One was um, called the uncertainty avoidance, and that's referring to any culture's lack of tolerance for ambiguity or a need for formal policies and rules. That is your type A culture right there. And what he did was he ranked every country. So you could know as you talked about different countries what they valued. You could know before you go. And good old US of A, we were number one in one of them, right? Guess which one? We were number one in individualism versus collectivism. We value the individual as a country and a culture. It is in our founding documents, independence. The declaration of our independence is how we started, right? We are an independent culture. We literally lead the world in that dynamic. And that changes how we read the scriptures. That changes the values we see in the gospel. And we have to know that. It's a story I've told before. I was reading a book on this very topic years ago, and the author brought up uh, two different study groups he was leading. One was from Russia, and one was from the USA, and they were going through the prodigal son narrative, the story where this kid takes all of his inheritance and goes and spends it all and then comes back poor, and the father graciously loves and accepts it. They said it was interesting because the group from America, they said, what caused this son to lose everything? And all the Americans said he was lazy, he didn't work hard, and he blew it himself. 
huge individualistic shift. It was his fault. You know what the people from Russia said? There's one line in that text that I didn't really even know existed, and I shouldn't say that as a pastor until I read this story, and it says there was a great famine in the land. In 1921, Russia had a huge potato famine. So all that country and culture said it wasn't his fault there was a famine. When famine hits your country, it decimates everything. It's interesting how what we value shapes how we see the scriptures, how we follow God. And so today what I want to do is talk through the fact that we have an individualistic bent as we look into the word of God, and that hurts us sometimes, and it helps us other times. And we're going to look at where that hurts and where that helps today as we look at life with one another and as we look at our part to play in following God together. But before we get there, we're going to take a second and we're going to pray like we do. We do this every week because our goal here is to follow Jesus together. Our goal here is to have conversations about what God is doing. Our goal here is to ask the Holy Spirit how he's leading us today, teaching us today, forming us today into the image of God. And we live in a culture that is critical. More so now than ever, it is critical. And that's not our job right here, right now. We want to be contributors to the conversation of faith. And so we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask that God put my critical spirit on hold for a sec, that I might sense and recognize what he's doing as he's shaping and forming me. I'm going to ask that you take some time and pray and do the same. I'm going to ask that you pray for me as we dive into the word today. So, So let's pray before we get going. God, I'm thankful to be here. In person and online, I'm thankful. In a culture that is really critical, may we today see what you're doing in our world. May you give us the ability to recognize where you're leading us and how you're shaping us. Holy Spirit, do work in us this morning as we open the text. I'd ask if you're comfortable that you just take a quick 15 seconds and say a prayer that God might help form and shape you today as he works through the scriptures in his his spirit. I'm going to ask that you pray for me, that I do a good job talking about our values, that I accurately depict the character of God that we see throughout the scriptures this morning. Pray these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Good answer, everybody. Hey, so our value we're talking about this morning, the next one is the C. Um, It's can't do life alone. And look, with these value systems and series, I hope, I hope you've heard these before, but we say these things and we repeat these these values because it is shaping who we're becoming. And so what I want to do is really talk about this idea that you can't do life alone, but as Western individualistic Americans, sometimes we buy into the lie that we do life way more alone than is in actually, that is actually true, Right? So just from a a first picture outlook, I think we overestimate our independence often. And I've used stories to depict this before, like when I told people that I built my daughter's crib and they said, you built it. I said, I put it together. Somebody else built it. I take credit for other people's things. We do it all the time. You're going to get your oil changed on your car and tell your friends, I have to go change my oil. You did no such thing. You scrolled Facebook while somebody else did it for you. We oftentimes overestimate our independence and it creates a cultural narrative that we're more independent than we actually are. And that's important to recognize. Like just on a practical sense this morning, everything that you've done and everything that you can look around and see is not the byproduct of just you alone. Whether you're in the room and sitting on a chair, you didn't make it. 
Whether you drove to CBC this morning, you didn't make the car. Whether you got up and made bacon and eggs for your family because you're dad of the year, you didn't kill the pig, I'm willing to bet. And if you did, I'm just impressed, you know? No matter what we've done today, we have to remember that the reason we did things today was because others contributed to our present state. Fundamentally, we overestimate our individualism, creating a culture of not dependence like the scripture says, but independence like our culture values. And so first and foremost, before we get into some text here, we have to understand that we are more dependent than we realize. And that's a good thing, because here's the first thing. It's how God made us. He says in Genesis 2, in the creation narrative, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper to fit him or that's suitable for him. People are meant to be together. And let me give you a couple reasons why. First and foremost, people are meant to be together because without people in our lives, it physically hurts us. I think we've seen this in the last seven months. I'm going to quote some scientists because I'm not one of them. But I'm going to quote some scientists that talk about the effects of isolationism in the world, in our country, over the last six or seven months. One of them says, the Health Resources and Services Administration cautions that loneliness can be as damaging to health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Feelings of isolation and loneliness can increase the likelihood of depression, high blood pressure, and death from heart disease. It can also affect the immune system's ability to fight infections. Naomi Eisenberg is a neuroscientist at the University of California. She says, Our brains and bodies have evolved to count on the closeness of others. Surrounded by family and friends, we feel safe from predators and secure that we will be cared for if we're hurt. But when we're on our own, or even when we just feel friendless, our bodies gear up for danger. Our nervous systems produce um, a hormone associated with a fight or flight response. Inflammation, the way the immune system heals wounds and fights off bacterial infection, goes into overdrive, causing chronic inflammation and reducing the body's ability to defend itself from viruses. In 2015, another neuroscientist and psychologist published an analysis of 70 studies involving 3.4 million people examining the impact of social isolation, loneliness, and living alone. The results were notable. In light of today's pandemic, they said that they found that loneliness increased the rate of early death by 26%. Social isolation led to an increased rate of mortality of 29% and living alone by 32%, no matter the subject's age, gender, location, or culture. So, so fundamentally, I love when science backs God up. That's a good thing, right? Fundamentally, why we can't do life alone is because doing life alone hurts us physically. And I'm not talking about the huge introverts that need some me time. That is fantastic. You do you, but you can't only do you alone all the time. You just simply weren't created for it, and everything backs that up. So when we say we need other people, it's not just, you know, I kind of need other people. It is fundamentally important for our thriving in the world. It's how we're physiologically wired. And the scriptures speak to that. God knows that because that's how God created us. There's a phrase... In the New Testament, um, alilan, it means one another. It's, it's seen a hundred times in the New Testament. The Bible wrote about doing life together because not did only they know that they were going to have to, they knew it was of vital importance for us. They knew it's because that's how we were created. So why can't we do life alone? Because one, it hurts you, and two, it reflects how God made you. 
Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. We were created to reflect our creator. And one thing we have to understand is at the heart of God, and you've probably heard this before, but at the heart of God is a relationship. Sometimes the way we talk about God is, is more individualistic than it should be. We, we, we separate the members of the Trinity. So we believe in a Godhead that has three equal parts that work together. But oftentimes, because it's really hard for us to explain, we separate the relational aspect of the Trinity and talk about the individual aspects of the members of the Trinity. It looks like this. Well, God the Father creates, and Jesus saves, and the Holy Spirit does something like the Jedi Force somewhere, Right? The Holy Spirit sustains and indwells and equips his church. But the problem with that, if we give individual tasks to individual members of the deity, is we separate something that is never separate. They are three in one all the time. There's a doctrine called the doctrine of inseparable op operations. It's important. Because here's the deal, the way that we see God shapes how we live God out in our world. And so if we see God acting individually in different places, we think that we should act individually in different places. The doctrine of inseparable operations basically pretty much says that God always does everything in deity. That it always comes from the Father, through the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whether that's the creation narrative at the beginning Read Colossians 1 and read Genesis 1. We see the word there. We see the spirit there. We see the father there. Everything God does, he does from the father, through the son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't separate those things. And why that matters is because if we can't separate the relational aspect of our God, then how can we think that we don't need relationship in the first place? One of my favorite questions. I, I sometimes like these questions that, lead, that, that, that don't really lead anywhere, but sometimes cause people to think. So one of the questions I like to ask people is, what was Jesus called before he was Jesus? You thought about that? So Jesus is his name, but what was his name before he was born? That's like me saying, what was Charlie's name before he was Charlie? And you're just like, I didn't even stop talking right now, right? You're wasting all of our time. But when you look at the scripture, before Jesus was born and given the name Jesus, he's referred to over and over again as the son. He is the eternal son. He, he was never born from God. He was always God. The way that God is talked about in the scriptures is always in the context of relationship. It defines who they are, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Working together at the heart of the gospel is relationship because it's the heart of who God is. And we were made, created to reflect that. One commentator I really like, a guy named Jonathan Pennington, says, there may be uh, religions that come to you through quiet walks in the woods or by sitting quietly in the library with a book or rummaging around in the recesses of your psyche. Christianity is not one of them. Christianity is inherently communal. A matter of life in the body of the church, Jesus did not call isolated individuals to follow him. He called a group of disciples. We have to remember that. It's not just going to hurt you if you try and do life alone. You're going against God's created order because you're not reflecting your creator anymore. It's so much richer and deeper than just, I need to get in a small group because. But that's good too. It's how we were made to function and thrive. It's how we were meant to show the world who our God is. And you can't divorce one from the other. Finally, I think a third reason why we need community, why we can't do life alone, is because when people see God in us, they see more of God. Jesus makes that clear. Matthew 25, 40, really widely cited verse. He says, hey, 
when you feed people, or he says, you know, where were you when I was hungry, when I was tired, when I was thirsty? You can read the whole narrative there. And finally, the disciples say, um, hey, when were you any of those things, Jesus? And he says to them, what you did to the least of them, you've done to me. Saying that we see God in community in ways that we wouldn't otherwise. So if we miss out on community, we miss seeing God in our midst. Theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote one of the best books on community, Life Together. Pick it up, read it. The prisoner, the sick person, the Christian living in the diaspora recognizes in the nearness of the fellow Christian the physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God. One pastor said it like this. In other words, as those in whom the presence of God dwells, when we gather physically together, we meditate on God's presence to one another in a unique way that can't be replicated apart from gathering. When the church, the temple of the living God, physically gathers for worship, we find in that assembly a manifestation of God's presence that can't be experienced in our life alone. It all points to this idea that that isolationism is therefore, it's foolish and it's proud. God made us to do life together and one of his greatest gifts is the Christian community or just the community that we build with one another. It's something we strive after because it adds fullness and richness to life. So our fierce independence sometimes gets in the way of seeing our need and the beauty of one another in our world because that's how we're made, that's how we thrive, and that's how we see God. So at CBC, we say you can't do life alone in the middle of a culture that fights for rugged individualism. But, but let me tell you, here's where rugged individualism helps our ability to see the gospel go forward, to see God's values that we try and encapsulate in some words at CBC, is we believe that you can't do life alone, but we also believe that everybody has a part to play. And I love this last one. Everybody has a part to play. That means that God knows you, that God loves you, that you have a unique skill set or gift to bring to the church. And, and scripture talks about it in, Second Corinthians, in, in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, just as a one body um, has many parts, all of its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ, meaning that we all have functionality in the church of Jesus. Romans, Paul says it like this, just as there are many parts to our body, so it is with Christ's body. We are all many parts of it. And it takes every one of us to make it complete, for we each have different work to do. So, so when we say, and what Paul was referencing there, when we say that everyone has a part to play, we mean something by it. One is that you have to do something. And so it means a couple things. Not just you have a skill set that God's given you to help people see him in community, but fundamentally we believe at CBC that following Jesus is not a spectator sport. That's why we say serve. We think following Jesus is something we were meant to do and that work isn't a four-letter word. That, that verse we read in Genesis 1.26, it says, let us make God in our own image. If you keep going in that verse, it says, so that you may rule over the fish and the birds and the livestock and the wild animals and anything that moves along the ground. He said, you're going to be in a relationship together so that you might do some work. Sometimes somewhere we think we're going to get to heaven one day and just relax by the pool for all eternity and get a really wicked tan, you know? But in reality, God created us to do stuff. He created us to work and to build and to reflect. He created us to serve one another. And so when we say that everyone has a part to play, this part for us is not optional because it's not optional in the kingdom of God. Now let me tell you something. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. And he is going back to college, and he said, I don't know, how much should I serve? You know, like, how much is, is too much to serve? 
And I said, that's a good question. I can't give you an answer. <laughs> so much of our faith is us trying to find objective answers to subjective questions. And I said, you know, at CBC, we, we've been talking about kind of how we word that and, and kind of where we're probably going to land the plane is for every time that you're poured into, pour out. So if you're in two groups where you're just kind of sitting back and learning, maybe lead a group or serving kids men or open the door for somebody or smile, even though they can't tell because you have a mask on, all of those with your eyes, everybody do those things. And I said, but, but here's the deal. When we talk about your part to play, this is not a legalistic pursuit. And so sometimes in places and spaces in your life, you're going to have more bandwidth to do stuff. And sometimes you just got to step back and that's okay. That's what grace looks like. Last night, my wife and I brought over dinner to um, some of our best friends and they have a four-year-old daughter and they just had twin daughters. Right? They just had twin daughters. I said, how you doing? And he just stared at me with anger. Um, it was good, man. They're so tired. <laughs> I mean, they are so tired, and, and, and they're kind of realizing now that twins are, are almost twice the work as just one. So I wouldn't go to them and say, you got to do more in your church. You're serving right now. I'd say, hey, man, step back. It's okay. But overall, we want to look at this and say, we don't have a legalistic relationship with everyone has a part to play, but we do want people to serve because it's how God made us, because we're called to, because we all have different spaces and places that we contribute to the overall theme of the gospel. And so what that means that here at CBC, I've been to some churches when, you know, volunteer development is a big deal for churches, especially kidsmen, <laughs> but anything. And so we're going to make a lot of asks, and we're going to ask almost every week that you plug in and find your place to serve, either in our community or in our church. We're going to ask that you do that. And here's one thing that I'm pretty big on, is we're not going to apologize for it, because we're not doing anything wrong, Right? We're not going to get up here and say, hey, thank you so much for serving. I'm so sorry you had to get up this morning. I'm not. It's worth it. It's worth your time. It's worth mine because what we're doing together builds into something better. That's, that's what Paul says. I'm going to read some long-form text. I'm going to read uh, 14 verses from Corinthians 12. And it's in the New Living Translation. I like how this is translated. I think it just says what I'm trying to say, but better because it's the Bible. Um, and Paul just talks about our need to be a part of a body together. And this is what he says. He says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews and some are Gentiles, some are slaves and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by the Spirit and we all share the same Spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, just, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not, proud, I'm not part of the body because I'm not the hand, that doesn't make it any less part of the body. If the ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have had many parts, and God has put each one just where he wants. How strange a body would it be if they only had one part? Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem the weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require this special care, so God has put the body together such that extra honor and extra care will be given to some of those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for one another. If one part suffers, all of the parts suffer with it. 
And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. <laughs> Two thoughts on that. One is, Paul makes this, this case in long-form text, this case that everything in the body is more important than a single part. Jesus talks about it when he says, your goal is to serve one another. We talked about it last week, which we're meant to be last, not first. It shifts our perspective from me to we. It takes an individualistic culture. It says, serve other people. But what we talk about when it says everybody's a part to play is that together, together we do things that we can't accomplish individually. You know? That the sum of the parts is greater than the sum of any individual pieces. I've been fascinated lately by how many puzzles people are doing. I keep seeing people post them to places. If you're a puzzle person, that's great. I am not. I have no patience whatsoever. I do not. I'm just going to take a hammer and make it fit. We're done. See? Let's go you know, do something else now. I looked up online this week just because I was curious uh, how the puzzle industry is doing. Guys, it's nuts. One of the largest puzzle manufacturers said that in 2019, they sold seven puzzles per minute. That's way more than I thought. He says, so far in 2020, we're looking closer to 20 puzzles per minute. Uh, another leading puzzle maker did more online sales in one day in March than in all of December, right? Do, do you know what it's like to put together a whole puzzle? And I'm asking this rhetorically because I don't do puzzles. Do you know what it's like to put together a puzzle, get to the end, and realize you got some pieces missing? That is frustrating. You know what it's like for the body of Christ to all come together and have people not want to serve? Not want to, not want to find where their giftedness is and plug in so that people might see the beauty of the overall picture of the puzzle and not just the individual parts. I ask that we do things together. I ask that we serve selfishly because when we serve together, we are better. When we serve together, we show people a fuller picture of who God is. I ask because it's not about you, it's about the gospel. So we believe at Crossroads that everybody has a part to play. And sometimes we got to fight some tendencies inside of us, the individualization of my giftedness and your giftedness, and why can't I be on a stage if they can be on a stage, and I'm a really good singer, my mom says so, but nobody else does, throw me on the worship team. We have to fight some of that stuff sometimes and realize and recognize that it's not only about us, but we all have an integral part to play in the body. I love what Rick Warren says about prominence and significance. He says, never confuse prominence and significance. Something can be prominent but not significant. My nose is prominent. It just sticks out there, but it's not significant. I could lose my nose and keep on living the rest of my life happily ever after. It's prominent, not significant. But there's more stuff inside me like a liver, a heart, and lungs. They're not prominent, but if I lost them, I'd die. The idea that we all need one another. We've got to fight this mentality that we're going to compare my giftedness to yours. We ask that we all show up together and serve. And, and over time, we figure out what that looks like. And over time, it changes. Because here's what that passage is saying as well. God made us all differently, in beautiful ways, in unique ways. I was at Costco on Friday, because that's a fun Friday in my life right now on this stage. And I walked in, and there was this old school video game. It was NBA Jam, and it had like all the, the childhood games from my childhood. It was probably this tall, and he wouldn't let you playing it, but you could watch it. And it got me thinking about one of my favorite games growing up. So when I was seven or eight, I don't know, uh, the Nintendo, the original Nintendo, you know, the things you had to blow in the cartridge to get to work and bang on it, you know, like it was a bad child. You, you abuse this thing and put the cartridge in. There was an NHL hockey game on there. Super old school. And you got to pick your five players. You probably didn't play this. I loved it. There was only three options. There's three types of players. You had a really fat guy that didn't move fast at all, but he never fell down. 
You had a really skinny guy that moved really fast, but he fell down if anybody got around him. And you had a medium guy that wasn't really great at anything, but he was there, everybody, you know? And here's the deal. Some teams, some people would pick five really fast guys. They were not as good as the teams that had a mix of all of them because sometimes you need some enforcers in hockey and sometimes you need some fast dudes, you know? This is what Paul's trying to tell us is that we need one another as we do life together because we are made for community and we're made to serve one another in that community. So you can't do life alone. And guess what? You have a part in this space. You have a part at Crossroads or whatever church you go to. You have a part in carrying forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when we celebrate our differences, we celebrate God's creative majesty. It's a beautiful thing. I'm not the same as you and I'm glad. And so when we talk about our values at CBC, when we talk about can't do life alone, and we talk about how everybody's a part to play, it, 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 it builds into the centrality of the gospel and tells the story that our God is good and he's doing something in our world. And so as we round out our values, we have five and they all spell grace. And so kind of what I wanted to end with, it's a little um, segmented here, it doesn't necessarily flow, but what I want to do is, is look back through the five and very quickly as I've thought about it this week, kind of show you how I see grace filtering through all of them. Because grace is the currency of the gospel, and we can never forget that. And if you remove grace from any of our values, they become less valuable. They don't fully reflect the value that we see in the scriptures from what we're doing together. So I want to walk through them real quick, just in case you forgot, and I just want to talk about how I see very quickly grace in each one of them. So our first one is growing people change. Without grace... Growth is, is different. So I'd say it like this. Growth without grace as the motivation makes the spiritual life a meritocracy. It becomes a checklist to accomplish, not a person to become. It's the move from transactional to transformational. If you re remove grace as our motivation to grow, then what you've made is something that doesn't need grace. It's I've earned something. Grace is why we grow in the first place because we understand it. Our second value is redeem people can't keep quiet. My favorite show is The West Wing. My staff doesn't like me talking about it because I talk about it too much. I love The West Wing. Regardless of political affiliation, it is the most well-written show I've ever watched. And I, I love the writing. Again, Aaron Sorkin wrote it. There's an episode that I saw the other day, and one of the speechwriters is writing, and he's on his 12th draft, and they say, why are we doing this again? And I love this quote. He said, because the difference between a good speech and a great speech is the energy with which the audience comes to their feet at the end, and we want it to come from their socks. The more you understand grace, the more you don't say the gospel, the more you shout it. The more you understand what you've been saved from, you can't help but from your socks rise up and say, look and see how good God is. The more you understand grace, the more beautiful the gospel becomes, and we can't keep quiet about it. If you remove grace, you remove depth and beauty from our telling other people about how good God is. An authentic community is messy, and this one's short and sweet. What does grace mean here? Authentic community is messy. Grace simply allows us the gift of honesty. It allows us the gift of honesty. Because living in a place where we can't be true to who we are and what we're struggling with is oppressive and exhausting. But grace in our relationships with one another, allowing each other not to be perfect because Jesus is perfect enough for us, not saying we're going to stay that way, but God's changing us and growing us. Grace allows us the gift of honesty. And then what we get into today, can't do life alone. I'm going to quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's work again. It says, the physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. 
It's by God's grace that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly around God's word and sacrament in this world. Not all Christians can partake in this grace. The imprisoned, the sick, the lonely who live in the diaspora, the spreading out of the people, the proclaimers of the gospel in the heathen land stand alone. They know that visible community is a grace. Let me tell you something, man. (laughs) That has never been more pronounced in the last six months in our culture the not gathering together and then gathering together, the visible community that we have is a grace of God, whether you're at home or whether you're here, whether you're really back here one day, it is the grace of God to do life with other people. And then finally, everyone has a part to play. I'm gonna quote from 1 Peter 2. It says, you are the chosen ones of God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people for God's instruments and do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. (laughs) You know what the grace of God does? It includes us in his plan of redemption when we didn't deserve it. We get to play a part. And when you get to play a part, it increases your joy in what God is doing. How good is God to use me, to use you? to use your giftedness and your brokenness, to use all of that to proclaim his gospel. We have a part to play in what God is doing, the redemption of all things. That's only because of the grace of God. Grace is the currency of the gospel, and we need to look at our values through the lens of grace all the time. That's what we believe at CBC. So we're going to end today by taking communion together because it's a visible sign of the grace of God. It's a visible sign of Jesus saying, I did so you didn't have to. It's a visible sign of a God that's been good to us. And so usually once a month, but whenever we feel like it fits, we come together and and we take communion together because like our family rhythms, we say these things again and again and again to remind us who we are and to remind us who we're becoming together as God works in this community at Crossroads. And so when we take communion, we remember. So I'm going to walk us through it. We'll take it together and then we'll have a brief reflection time, but... If you're at home, you can grab the stuff that you need. If you're here, there's a couple different things you can peel off. But Jesus got his disciples together on the night that he was arrested. And he he had a simple meal with them, of bread and wine. And he took simple elements and said, this is going to reflect the depth of my goodness to you. And so he took bread and he showed his disciples. He said, this, this, every time you eat this bread, every time you're together and you eat this bread, remember that this is my body that I broke for you when I didn't have to. That I broke for you because I loved you. Eat and remember Jesus' sacrifice. And then he held up the wine. And he said, it didn't just stop with my body. I spilled my blood for you because the world is broken and it comes at a cost to fix it. And I paid it. And not because you earned it, but because of how much I love you and the grace that I give, my blood's going to be shed for you. So every time you drink this wine together, remember the beauty and the depth of my grace shed for you. Let me pray for us.